0: Uh, for some of you I haven't seen for a little bit, but, uh, you know, I just got back from Kenya not too long ago. And I came back to a mess, to be honest with you. Um, for those who've been to my house, who have, or let me say this, for those who've tried to come to my house and found it impossible, uh, the bridge is out beside my house. I don't know if you know, uh, we live over on Burleson Street and there's no bridge. Um, and it has been out for a long time. Uh, remember when the, the flood came, uh, it destroyed the bridge and it was collapsing and fell apart. And so uh, there is no way to get across, which I found is like two problems. One is I can't get, I can't go anywhere. And then other people can't get to me either. I mean, I had people like say, why don't you come over? Like, I, I can't get to your house. Like they come to my house before, they can't come to my house anymore. They can't figure out because the bridge is out. It has, been a, it has been terrible. The neighbors and I have been, we sit up there and we look where there once was a bridge. And uh, we had guys come out, work on the bridge for months. I should say they were there. I don't know they were doing too much work. And they moved some dirt around. They came, they would be there like once a week. They worked, they, they had small tractors, they were small people and they did small work. And it was, it was terrible. And, like, the whole neighborhood is sitting there looking at this bridge and, the well, the, where there should be a bridge, seeing, like, we used to be able to get across, and so we are full of frustration. Everyone is anticipating when it might. Everybody has, like, their theory. Well, I think they'll be done in a month. It's been months. Those people were dead wrong. They're, like, the, the, the people who are, like, pessimists, you know, it's going to be three years. Like, you may be right all along, I come home from Kenya, and there is no bridge. And it is terribly frustrating. I don't get to see my people, and I am terribly inconvenienced. I digress. Let's look in the Bible today at <laughs> Luke chapter 6. I'm just going to share a little of my life with you. If you're trying to get to my house, forget it. Luke chapter 6, we are in verse 12. We are seeing the Gospel of Luke. We're seeing um, how the Spirit of God is working in the life of Jesus, how Jesus is walking and he's going to uh, show us the way. And uh, just a fantastic sermon. If you didn't hear it last week, look online. Justin preached about uh, the Sabbath and how Jesus fulfills the Sabbath, that he is our rest. And he is the rest to come. And here in Luke chapter 6, uh, we have watched, we have observed Jesus go and call uh, disciples along the way. We've met some of those disciples a little more intimately. And we've heard kind of a little bit of their stories. We've watched Jesus as he's called basically these nobodies to come and be a part of his entourage as they go and uh, are going to change the world. And so Jesus is calling these people, and he's calling them to be fishers of men, and uh, not just fishermen, but fishers of men. And so he has kind of a contingency with them, a group of people, and that's where we pick up the story today in Luke chapter 6, verse 12. In these days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray. All, and all night, he continued in prayer to God. When day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place, with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out of from him. And healed them all. Jesus takes some time, goes away, goes up a mountain, and he spends the night in prayer. And during that time of prayer, devoted prayer, throughout the whole night, that's what scripture would would imply to us, that Jesus is there all night long on top of the mountain. And then when he comes down, the next thing he does is he chooses from his disciples. He has a, a group of disciples. But from them he chooses 12 specifically, by name. And Luke here says, and they are apostles. Apostles is really a term that's going to be used later on in the life of the church. But these are going to be the sent out ones. Jesus is calling them to himself. And there is also there Judas Iscariot, the one who will become a traitor. As we think about this passage, there are some, as we look at the whole of Scripture there's some things that begin to stir in our hearts and minds kind of a reminder of what's happening Jesus is on top of a mountain he comes down the mountain and the next very thing we're going to see is he begins to teach he heals and then he teaches there is another great man who went up a mountain right and for 40 days he was on the mountain he neither he neither neither ate or drank anything and there he had an experience with God himself a word from God a word that God wrote down and he brought to the people. And his name is Moses. And as Moses comes down the mountain, he finds the, the people are in a mess, right? That he's been gone too long for them. And, and, and because he's been gone too long, they build a, 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 an altar. They, they build this, this sacred cow, calf that they worship. And they become given to Reveille. They, they are acting crazy. It's as if a spirit has taken them over. They're acting the fool. God's, God gives Moses the opportunity to just destroy them all. I'll just wipe them all out. Moses comes down and he hears the sound of the revelry as he comes down the mountain. It's the sound of war, almost. But it's worse than that. It's a spiritual war. He comes down and you know how the rest of the story goes. Many people are killed. The disease breaks out as judgment against them. Moses uh, gets the calf and he has them grind it down. They, and they, bring, they get the gold and they, they put it in water and he makes them drink it. But now, as we think about that, we now have this other story in the New Testament. Jesus goes up the mountain... He stays there for a while, and he comes down, and when he comes down, he calls out 12, 12 of his disciples. Now, this might be weird, because who knows how many disciples Jesus has right now? I mean, he may have, like, 40 disciples, and for him to call out, like, these 12, like, do we need 12 right now? I mean, there's just a few of us, and Jesus calls out these 12. Why 12? Because he's reminding them, these people, and they're going to catch this right away, of the 12 tribes of Israel, right? Right? So he calls out the 12 tribes, these Jewish men, and he says, now you are going to be my apostles. You are the ones who are going to go with me. And for the listeners and those who are seeing what's going on, they are thinking about Moses and they're thinking about the 12 tribes of Israel, but Jesus' reaction as he comes among the people is quite different than Moses, right? Because when he comes down, he says, and Jesus then put his feet on level ground. It's almost like he dug in his heels. And he begins to minister to the people. And the way he is ministering is those who are sick, they are coming from everywhere, and he is healing them. And those who have unclean spirits, they are being saved from the unclean spirits. They're being made well. And someone should say amen, because that's good news. And so Jesus is is doing something that Moses could not do. And as we've looked, if you've been with us in the book of Luke, Jesus is going to do this in in Luke and in John. He's going to use these miraculous actions as signs, as pointers that he is the Son of God. So you can look at that and you say, well, he's like Moses, but he's better. (laughs) There's something more here than even Moses on the mountain. Jesus comes down and he puts his heels in and he heals people. Moses wasn't about that. He, he doesn't just punish, you get to hear this. He doesn't just punish for the unclean way of living, but he casts out the unclean spirit. Someone should say, Amen. That's good news. You see, Jesus is more than Moses. And when he comes down, he has a word for the people. He's going to usher in a new order, a new way. Jesus' power shows that he is able. It is a testimony that says, I will show you in the physical what is happening in the spiritual. Jesus is making things right, giving them a foretaste of the kingdom to come where all things are made well. Jesus is ushering in a new life, a new way, A new Israel, a new community. When Moses brought the children of Israel to Mount Sinai as he was following God and he came to this place where he was going to get the Ten Commandments, where he's going to go up and meet with God, Were were the children of Israel going into slavery or were they coming from slavery? They're coming from slavery. They had just been in Egypt, right? So they're actually free people. But when Moses comes to the mountain, he comes and he gives them the law. They've already been freed from slavery. But But God is going to give them a new way. He's going to show them the way, the way it could be. But the way he's going to show them the law, as we talked about last week, The law is is not that thing that heals like Jesus heals. The law is that thing which points out the sickness. It it comes and the law is made for a right relationship with God, trying to create a right relationship with God. What does God expect of you? And the law also is a way to create the right kind of community. But the law is not good enough. The law isn't good enough. The law doesn't actually change. It doesn't change from the inside. And so Jesus now comes, and he is going to bring new life, a new order. A a new life and a new order that brings us to a right relationship with him but it's also going to be a right relationship with each other. For only in the gospel can we truly have community. Can we truly be brought together? The law won't allow for that. And so Jesus is regularly correcting their misunderstanding of the law and preaching to them the good news that Jesus Christ has come that the kingdom is come and these are the ways of the kingdom. So he, he plants his heels firmly and he begins to, uh, to give them basically the new law. The fulfillment of the old. Begins with the Beatitudes. And he lift, in verse 20, And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Now Jesus lifted up his eyes on his disciples. He's speaking to his disciples. And he said, Blessed are you who are poor... For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. And then he gives four woes, just as he gave four blessings. And he says, now, watch out for this. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. I'd like to start actually at the end and go back to the beginning. To look at the four woes before we look at the uh, four blessings. Jesus is saying in this new order of things, if you have made it, if what you have and who you are satisfies you, if it is the definition of who you are, then that will be your best life. If you're comfortable now, if you have worked and if you have planned and you don't have to worry about anything anymore, you're satisfied, you're cool, you have a problem. The word... Uh, this, uh, this word is uh, uh, not, not actually best said to be laugh in verse 25. Woe to you who laugh. Now, the, be- the better word is probably gloat. It, it is a, a feeling like you can look at other people and go, well, at least I'm not like them. I've, I've got it together. I feel pretty good about me. Be careful. Woe to you who gloat. For you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when they speak well of you. For so their fathers did to their false prophets. So Jesus says, Be careful of all these things. All of these things that when you first hear them, you go, but isn't that a good thing? (laughs) I mean, isn't I don't I want to be comfortable? Isn't it nice to be rich? Is, Is really the kingdom of God all about losing everything? That doesn't sound too fun, and in fact, Jesus says on the other hand, and they be attitudes that blessed are those who are poor and hungry and those who weep. Blessed when you are excluded from things. Who's signing up for this kind of kingdom? Here is Jesus coming down from the mountain. He has a new order of things. He's going to make all things well. He's healing and everything. And you expect to say, I'm going to make things really good for you. He just made things good. And then he says, well, you're going to weep. That's the good stuff. You're going to be poor. Enjoy. You're kind of going, I don't know where I missed you on this one, right? One commentator, Michael uh, Wilcox, says this. He says, listen, this is great. In the life of God's people, it will be seen, first of all, a remarkable reversal of values. The people of God will prize what the world deems pitiable and suspect what the world thinks desirable. read that again. In the life of God's people, it will be seen, first of all, a remarkable reversal of values. He's going to, it's as if Jesus is flipping the script. The people of God will prize what the world deems pitiable. Poverty. Uh, weeping. Being despised. All those things. And they will be suspect what the world thinks are Desirable. So prestige and honor and comfort, all those things, we become suspicious of those things. Do you see all that? So now, now we look at the world differently so that we are able to weep. You know, there are times to weep. And in fact, in, in weeping is some of the best times. But how can we be blessed? This, this word blessed that's used in both Hebrew and Greek is this like deep, wonderful blessing. It's getting used another word. It's just a, it's just a, a kind gift. How how is weeping a kind gift? How is poverty a kind gift? How can we be blessed in those moments? And this is the beauty of the gospel. It's not saying that necessarily we should seek those things, but in those things we are well because we are in Christ. We are in Christ. We have both his promises of the moment, that he is with us, he will never forsake us, but also the promises of the glory to come. And so even in troubles and trials, we can weep, and it's okay. You see, we have the freedom to weep. We don't have to be fake. You see, that's the way of the world that you have to kind of cover, right? You have to, if things are bad in your situation, you either have to blame somebody else, you have to kind of deflect the, the, the fact that you've got a problem, you, you have to you have to then make up a different kind of idea about yourself that's not true. But when you are a follower after Jesus, we can embrace the fact that we are broken people. And we can weep about it, but still in that moment, we can be happy. Isn't it crazy? We're crazy people. We can, we can mourn in our brokenness, and we also can celebrate Because the Lord is with us. So finally, with my bridge. They got somebody else to work on the bridge. Whole new company. And man, they are taking care of business. They got big old tractors and things and scoops and things. And the things and moving dirt around and there's concrete going up and they're there every day early in the morning we hear this bam 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 we know they're working out there we're so happy and so my uh uh elijah especially elijah and anna they love going down there with all the construction going on and going up the hills and stuff and so i'm sitting there you know uh watching all this going on trying to keep them kind of safe and here as i'm sitting there there's enough bridge now that you can walk across but you can't drive across and there's this guy come up, I've seen him before, uh, and, and he walks up and he's, he's on a bicycle. I've only, only seen him on a bicycle. And so he can get across the bridge. So he, he gets his bicycle and it's all kind of decorated, different, and, and, he, and he walks up and, and he introduces himself. And we get to talking. And he says, uh, you know, I just got to praise God. All right. Didn't know he was talking to a preacher okay. He said, you know, um, it's amazing how good God is. He's good no matter what. I mean, have you ever thought of that? (laughs) Wherever you go, God is with you. Whatever you go through, God is with you. I was like, man, we're having church on the bridge. And so I see him then, and then I see him again, like, I'm watching the kids again. And there he is on the bridge. He he, he works over uh, at uh, Must Be Heaven, working nine to five job. He comes back and he starts talking with me. And he says, you know, I've been through some hard times. He said, I used to live in Bryan. And things got really dark. He said, they got really dark. He said, "I, I didn't have anything to eat. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was about to be homeless. He said, but I got with some friends, and we just started praising God together, even though we didn't have anything. You know, I, to be honest, I kind of check him out, like, is this guy all right? You know, you know what I mean? Like, he may not be. He was not. we were praising God, because we knew that God was still there. We knew that he was going to see us through. We still had God. And then he says, but it was a dark time. I was like, oh my gosh. (laughs) That's exactly what the scripture is talking about. Even in our dark times, we who have faith in Jesus Christ know that he has not given up on us. He has not quit. And in fact, he uses those dark times to make us the people he wants us to be in fact, he, he, we have to go through those things. So even when we are weeping, we are celebrating because we know that God is good and everything's going to be all right with him. They're going to be okay now and they're going to be okay forevermore. That's our God. That's the way that he has made for us. Our, our change that comes in our heart, doesn't just affects us psychologically in the moment, but it also affects us sociologically. It means it affects us and everyone. How we look at things, how we perceive things, how we interact with other people. Look at this, he says in verse 22, blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil. (laughs) Be happy. On account of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. <laughs> it seemed like he got a little carried away, didn't he? For behold, your reward is great in heaven, so, for so their fathers did to the prophets. You see, when we become followers of Jesus Christ, as we become the born again, as we have new life, Something changes in us. And so now we look at other people and we look at them differently. We don't look at them like we used to. So those who have made themselves out to be enemies, we are supposed to have a different kind of attitude. Just a minute ago, Justin read uh, a little further down. uh, As Jesus uh, said in verse 27, he says, But I say to you uh, who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. Two things. For those, who are, uh, for those who are set out as your enemy. I mean, not just the people who are annoying. We all have annoying people. But I'm talking about people who are set out against you. That's a kind of a, a different level. That as those people are set against you, our response should be first to pray for them. To pray for them. That means that we take them before the Father... And we love them. We make sure that the Lord can work through us, that we, have, we get rid of our own malice, right? That we get rid of our own sin. We get our own hatred, those things that are wrong inside of us. See, he even uses our enemies to bless us. So in the midst of our blessing, we're beginning to see, you know, there's still broken parts in me. There's a reason why they're my enemy in times, you know? I mean, sometimes it's me. And sometimes they're just mean and I need, to, I need to figure out how to love them. I need something greater inside of me than I have naturally. First thing is to pray for them, to remove all ill will against them. And secondly, then to do good to them. To do good to them. It doesn't mean be abused by them, but what is the best thing for them? Ephesians 4.29 tells us to, To have these words that build up others According to their need in the moment. And that's the way we should be treating folks. Something really interesting in the text here. In the Beatitudes, the Luke version, listen to what he says. He says in the first part, he said, um, Blessed are those who are poor. So it's talking about the third person. But look, listen in the second part when he gives the woes. He doesn't say, but woe to those who are rich," it says. But woe, yo, uh, excuse me. But woe to what does it say? Not those, but what? You. Who's Jesus talking to? Is he talking to this large crowd of people? No. He says Jesus looked at his eye, in the eyes to his disciples. He's speaking in the in the, the personal you. So what he's saying in is, I pretend I'm in the audience with you. Jesus is saying, you. Watch out, you, you, you. Watch out. Woe to you. Woe to you. Woe to you. Woe to you. My disciples are like, whoa, woe to us. I mean, like, we just, we're here with you. But here's the good news Jesus is saying, all you disciples, watch out because you have the heart just like your enemies. We do too. We have the same heart as our enemies. We, we do those same kind of things. We can be real jerks. Well maybe you can't be, but I've heard. Do you see? We are all sinners. We all uh, we are just like those people. We are those people. That's us. We long for comfort, right? We we long for to have some money in our pocket, not out in pocket, not have to worry about things anymore. We are prone to get kind of isolated in our own comfort and forget about other people. But what Jesus is saying to the disciples, you're just like all of them, but you're saved by grace. So live like it. Live like it. And so that frees us up. So we can see other people and we can say, you know, I'm going to love them because they're just like me. Just, Just as they need forgiveness, I was forgiven a ton The whole truck loaded up, backed up, dumped out. That's what I needed. And Jesus did it for me. I think I can take a handful and forgive you because you're just like me. And man, I needed grace and so do you. Jesus does not allow us to look down on other people because they're sinners. He doesn't allow it. We have to see them as folks just like us in need of salvation. So let's treat him as such. That's hard, isn't it? I'm not telling you it's easy. But it's the way of the cross. It's the way of Jesus. Jesus makes a way for us to be at peace with him. He goes beyond what the law says. But it actually builds the bridge that gets us to our Lord along the way, he makes things right. Will we live like it? Will we, look, will we live like those who are saved? Will we value the things that the kingdom values, that God values? Will we hold suspect the things that the world says, these are really important? Just about every day now, I go down to that bridge, My kids play, and I'm looking for my neighbor. I really learned to love that bridge.